This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, they have asked for that, really. So you can laugh as the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all. What you're doing down here, you're surely man. This country has had a complicated relationship with Robbie Keane over the years. Despite his 68 international goals, he wasn't always a figure who was truly loved by all Irish sports fans. He was always loved by me, though. And I think I love him even more after his first foray into management this weekend. Hi there and welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, Ken. Hi, Kieran. Hello there, are you? Robbie took the reins with his Indian Super League side, Atletico de Kolkata, over the weekend in their final game of the season against Northeast United. Robbie's first decision as player-manager was to keep faith with Robbie. <laughs> he picked himself to start up front despite an indifferent spell so far. Robbie Keane gets a vote of confidence <laughs> from Robbie Keane. In Indian football. That faith was rewarded after just 11 minutes. Keane finding a pocket of space in the Northeast United penalty area as he has found in so many penalty areas against so many clubs over the years mm-hmm. and producing a delightful first touch finish with the outside of the trusted right boot enough to earn a victory for his team and a hero of the match gong for himself. That's what he picked up. There's a great 35-second video tweeted by the Indian Super League, which starts with Robbie issuing tactical instructions to teammates. A lot of gesticulating, as Keane was wont to do even before mm-hmm. he became a manager. Yep, we've it's seen that. Perfectly legitimate now, though. He's allowed to point to his teammates as to where they should be going. It then moves to a couple of shots of Robbie, shall we say, laboring around the uh, the pitch. You know, the sort of the, the link-up play that was never necessarily as big as... He's nearly know. 38, Owen. He is, yeah. He's 37 years of age. But then the goal, followed by the trademark celebration. Robbie Keane, at almost 38 years of age, is still scoring and still celebrating with the cartwheel gunshot. One of those things surprises me more than the other, Owen. Yeah. You can tell me that. The goal scoring doesn't surprise me in the Indian Super League. The cartwheel does, though. Yeah, I love it. He's a manager. It's not going to stop him celebrating like a young... 17-year-old super superstar wonder kid. Robbie Keane, we salute you, or at least 
I salute you. I hope everybody got through the snowy days safe and sound and that you all enjoyed your enforced days off work if you had any. Uh, we did get out of the office ourselves late last week, but not before leaving a football podcast for our beloved World Service members. That was last Friday when we covered the Workers' Cup movie about migrant workers in Qatar. We just refused to countenance the idea that our World Service members it's just not possible would face into even one day, especially in the blizzard-like conditions, without a podcast in their feeds. Mm. That's the kind of dedication that you can count on if you sign up on secondcaptains.com. Report on sport, please, Kim. So, let me think. I guess uh, we'll start with, uh, with what's happening in English football. And, as, and it's increasingly often what's happening in English football. There's nothing to do with what happens on the field, Owen. But what what happens at various functions surrounding the game, uh, one of which um, uh, the FA's uh, chief executive Martin Klein, who to me seems to have potential as the you know uh, maybe a fill-in mid-morning host on RadioNorwich.com, has <laughs> has uh, talked a little bit about uh, the situation that his organisation now has. Uh, regarding Pep Guardiola and the yellow ribbon of Catalan freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you've ever read the uh, the, uh, the classic satirical work Gulliver's Travels. Oh, I sure have. Yeah. Written by a fine Irishman, Jonathan Swift. Swift, maybe not the world's proudest Irishman. Great read. Uh, Great movie an, as well. An Irishman, nonetheless. Great movie, of course, with Ted Danson. I think there have been a couple of, diff- <laughs> couple of different adaptations. But we, I think we can all agree that the Ted Danson one is the definitive version. But this is, this is really what, what, what I ended up... When I, when I read a, a line from... Uh, th- I think this is from Rob Harris's report. Glenn defended the FA's decision to charge Guardiola for wearing a yellow ribbon at games, claiming it cannot be compared to the poppy. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. It's like the big Indians. In Gulliver's Travels, there's a big war between two tribes of tiny people who open their eggs at opposite ends. One of them uh, open at the big end, one of them at the little end, and they're fighting to the death over this. It's like a, a struggle, you know, a, a nihilistic <laughs> fight to the end, you know. And this is classic, like the big Indians raged at their method of opening an egg being compared to the barbaric practices of the little Indians, you know. Like, you can't wear this. This my my symbol is uh, is apolitical. Yours is clearly a political symbol. Did, did he go into any more detail as to as to how he makes that distinction? He says, "Where do you draw the line?" <laughs> well, it's just so self evident to him. I mean, it, 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 the wonder of it all to be to see things in this sort of black and white. I mean, his imagine how much harder his job would be in his head if he actually understood what he was talking about. That's what that's that's the really surprising thing to me. Well, he he says um, he, he says uh, where do you draw the line? Should we have someone with a UKIP badge? Someone with an ISIS badge? <laughs> he says uh, we have rewritten law four of the game so that things like a poppy are okay. Hmm. Now what's law four of the game? Law four of the game is the one uh, governing. Equipment. Um, now the bit, the bit that's relevant to the poppy, I suppose, is slogans, statements, images, and advertising. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff in there about you know shin pads and whatnot. 
Equipment must not have any political, religious or personal slogans, statements or images. Players must not reveal undergarments that show political, religious, personal slogans, statements or images. Personal slogans? What? Is that... Is that can is that really a, a law <laughs> uh, or advertising other than the manufacturer's logo? Of course, the manufacturer's logo has to be in there, and presumably your shirt sponsors are okay as well. For any offence, the player and or the team will be sanctioned by the competition organizer, National Football Association, or to be justified by FIFA. For an offence, play need not be stopped. And it goes on to sort of say, oh, uh, offences and sanctions, you know, just basically take it off is, is the usual uh, offence or sanction because this is kind of an unusual one. Um, so I guess the the reason that they think the poppy um, doesn't count is that it's not political, whereas these other things, which include, uh, you say we, we've written we've written law for the game, so things like a poppy are okay, but things that are going to be highly divisive and that could be strong religious symbols, it could be the star of David, it could be the hammer and sickle, it could be a swastika, anything like Robert Mugabe on your shirt, these are the things we don't want. So, so yeah. Uh, Apparently, the FA the FA were able to argue successfully that the poppy was an act of remembrance for fallen soldiers, as opposed to a political emblem. Oh, remembrance for fallen soldiers, and, and what were the fallen soldiers doing? What, what were the soldiers doing when they fell? Was there anything? Were they involved in any political activity? These soldiers, when they fell. Uh, I mean, it's it's obviously it's obviously nonsense. It's people are wearing. It, it's the same thing. It's a little badge you wear to show your advocacy of a certain cause, and it's a it's political in nature, just as you know the poppy, just as it is with Guardiola's Guardiola's thing. So the FAA have just if war is apolitical. Then, <laughs> then we've got we've got some problems. You know, we've got some deeper problems that we should be asking questions about. We're not fighting for any reason. You know, the key thing to remember here is we're not fighting. For any political reason whatsoever, no. we're just picking a scrap. To be honest, and to be very clear, says Martin Glenn, Pep Guardiola's yellow ribbon is a political symbol. It's a symbol of Catalan independence. And I can tell you, I can tell you, there are many more Spaniards, non-Catalans, who are pissed off by it. All we're doing is even-handedly applying the laws of the game. Poppies are not political symbols. That yellow ribbon is. Poppies are not political symbols. This is why James McLean, who doesn't wear the poppy, gets roundly abused every year by people who are angry that he's not wearing it because it's such a neutral symbol. It's like, you know, the Daffodil Day. Daffodil. Or, you know, whatever else you want to, we don't want to compare it to. Um, so I have to say that I, I would fancy Guardiola's chances of running rings around the FA if this one ever comes up before the Beaks because they just haven't got any kind of a... It's just the most ridiculous situation that they're charging. I can understand why they're charging him. He is breaking, apparently, their rules, but they're breaking their own rules. So I don't see how the rules can necessarily apply to everybody. And apparently Guardiola is considering using the their, their own argument for having the uh, poppy allowed... Uh, on their shirts in favour of why he can uh, why he can continue to wear his thing. We haven't mentioned the game yet, Owen. No, just before we do, Martin Glenn, it, don't rule out the star of David appearing at some stage on jerseys in the Premier League because Martin Glenn has apologised for that element of what he had to say. He's apologised for grouping the star of David yeah. with ISIS and yep. the swastika. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well that's... For any offence caused by sorry that for any particular grouping there, yeah. And he is going to speak to Jewish people. No, what, is, what does he say? 
he accepts and agrees that the Star of David is a hugely important symbol to Jewish people over the, all over the world. He will be speaking with the Jewish Leadership Council and to kick it out, uh, the anti-racism. Of course, the old star. Personally apologise. The Star of David, of course, is like a red rag to a bull to a certain type of person. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and many of those people are football fans as well. This is Martin Lenz. So, you know, we have to bear in mind. Uh, so, the, uh, so there we are. But look, I mean, this is, this, is, this is kind of the most interesting thing about the game. A game in which Manchester City broke various records, the most passes ever by a team in the game, in the Premier League, since people have been counting. 902, Owen, since you asked. Most by a player as well. Gundogan. Gundogan, 174 passes. <laughs> that is a lot of passes for one footballer. It's easy to pass the ball around, Owen, when the opposition show no interest in taking it from you. You're making two passes per minute. Yeah. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um... And, uh, you know, Conte uh, was being hammered in commentary again by Gary Neville. Very splenetic Gary Neville these days. I mean, he's ranting and raving about how disgusting Arsenal were um, in, in terms of their failure to move around. And he was hammering Chelsea again. I mean, what Chelsea were doing was kind of what a lot of teams do against Man City now. You know, what Man City are doing is, is trying to get you to... They're, they're passing the ball around, so one of your players is attracted to it and finds himself out of position... And suddenly your team structure is starting to disintegrate and they're in on your goal. And this is what they're trying to do, especially when they're one nil up and kind of they're um you know, they can they can play the game at their own pace. This is what was happening. The the problem, I suppose, was that you really do expect a bit more from Chelsea in terms of trying to win this rather than simply trying to not concede any more goals even though they've already conceded. Yeah. The I think goal. playing playing for a nil nil draw is fine. Playing for a one nil defeat is not great when you're defending champions. It's a very boring approach to the game. For a crime against football, according to Jamie Redknapp. Well, a crime against football is this. This is this is absolute nonsense. Um, I mean, in terms of you know, it's it's obviously uh, just way over the top from from Jamie Redknapp, who. Well, Conte, I mean, it, it, it kind of happens so fast now that, that you know, Neville says something in commentary, or, or Redknapp says something in, on the studio, and then it's immediately being presented to, you know, Jamie Redknapp says you're an idiot. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just not going to improve anyone's mood, but it's like straight, it's almost straight in his, in his face after the match. I'm not so stupid to play open against City and lose three or four nil, says uh, Conte. If I remember, Arsenal played like that against them, and you criticised them a lot because they conceded three goals in 30 minutes. The pundits must use their heads when you speak about tactics. He says, it is, I think you must have knowledge to speak about tactics and not only to speak in a stupid way. I have a feeling Antonio Conte reckons he knows more about tactics than Jamie Redknapp. I think he does. I, yeah. I think and he, even Gary Neville. I think he thinks that. I certainly think that. <laughs> and I think even Jamie Redknapp thinks that. Which is not to say that he's not entitled to his opinion. Simply that you might weigh Conte's opinion more heavily. At the same time, is Conte under the impression that you get more than zero points for losing 1-0, <laughs> you know, as opposed to 3-0 uh, or 4-0. You know, there is something very off-putting about a manager coaching a team to, to a respectable defeat. That's what we want, lads. Respectable defeat here. Because it, it's not really... I mean, there is the, the argument of goal difference, and goal difference could potentially be a, a deciding factor, has been in recent times. Certainly looks like it could be in the relegation situation, you know, when you look at how closely packed the teams are. But, you know, this is not like a, a, a game where, okay, if we lose by less than 2-0, we're going through the group. It's not, it wasn't that situation. It was, you know, a loss is no good. 
and especially a loss which is in which it's been drilled into the players that they're not to attempt to win if that risks making the defeat the, the defeat rather slightly more embarrassing than it already is. That's that's just wrong. It's just not, it's not a good way to look at it. It's funny you mentioned Gary Neville, who has been on a bit of a rampage lately. I felt it was a little more forced this weekend. The well, he's 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 having to live up to his. Yeah, well, I mean, the Arsenal Super stuff, you could barely get him, you could barely prize that microphone out of his hands and away from his mouth during the City Arsenal game mm. uh, last week. He was just, he was just letting rip at Arsenal and doing it with a certain amount of reddish. Whereas yesterday, he'd pop up every few minutes and call them mannequins or something like this, the mm. Chelsea team, and then drift away again to the point that Martin Tyler, on more than one occasion, said, Gary, you're very quiet there. You haven't spoken in about four minutes, i.e., we're both struggling through this, this game. Gary. is dull as ditch water, Give Gary. me a little bit of a dig out here. You know, professional help. courtesy, yeah. please. Neville says to him, well, I'm doing Monday Night Football tomorrow, so I'll try and muster up something for that. <laughs> Again, not no. really forward selling Monday Night Football very well. And also, still leaving Martin Tyler yes. with the job of two men. Martin today. Tyler's got nothing to do with Monday Night Football. The hour beforehand, yeah. at least. There wasn't a huge amount to say. I mean, what the, you know, what, what Antonio Conte did was use the match as a, as a sort of platform to to administer another public thrashing to his team in the sense that I, I feel when he talks about Manchester City here, and I'm going to, I'll read you his quote, he says, I think that the difference between them and us at this moment, 25 points is a big gap. Um, when you play against Manchester City, this kind of team, they're showing fantastic quality, but at the same time, a fantastic mentality. When you match quality and mentality, you become unstoppable. I think he's... I mean, he seems to be talking about Man City, but I think he might have even been talking about the Chelsea team there on just the way that he's going on about the importance of marrying quality and uh, and mentality. Some teams have one and not the other. And that's why those teams are 25, well, are behind Manchester City. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all, it, it's all coming down now really to the, to the Barcelona game in, in terms of Chelsea season because the Champions League situation is now looking very complicated for them. Uh, the sides ahead of them are picking up points at a rate that makes you think that over nine matches or whatever Chelsea have left, it's not going to be possible to close the gap. Um, they could have done with not losing these games against Manchester United and Manchester City, but that's what's happened. What about Arsenal? They now lose games to Brighton and nobody bats an eyelid. It's pretty sad. Well, I mean... It was kind of interesting watching both games and saying, God, there's like... 300% more of a chance of one of these managers, of the two losing managers from yesterday getting the sack before the end of the season than the other. And I'm not entirely sure that they're sacking the right guy. How do you mean? Well, I mean, Antonio Conte is much more likely to get the sack than Arsene Wenger. Yeah. And, and although he's done a better job, clearly yeah, he's won the league in the, last 12, in the last 10 months. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, and Wenger has, for the last five years, been... But it's just amazing. You know, the goals, like the goals they got in. And like the first, I was watching it. The first one's a corner. Shane Duffy gets up at the back, heads it back across. Lewis Dunk, goal. And then the second one, Glenn Murray. Glenn Murray, by the way, is, is the hottest striker. He's the hottest Englishman in, in football at the moment. Uh, hotter than Harry Kane in 2018. Uh, Salah and Aguero have scored more goals than Glenn Murray, but they're the only ones in the uh, Premier League. But the ball was flying in towards him for like what seemed about a quarter of an hour. <laughs> and, you're, and you're thinking, the ball's going to come to Glenn Murray on the far post here and he is going to have a really good chance. Can Arsenal get to this ball? No. Can Murray get the header in? Yeah. 
Can Czech stop it? No, he can't. And it all seemed to happen in that sort of, in that time. Uh, and Czech, afterwards, Czech puts up this self-abasing tweet. Yeah, but he's been doing this all season. Do you remember the one he, he made a mistake a few weeks ago we talked about it on the podcast and he apologised really profusely and a lot of the comments underneath were basically telling him to go and do one, Czech. Your apology means nothing, which I thought was a little bit unfair, but he's still going. Yeah, this is more, he didn't actually say sorry, but he, he certainly flagellated himself. I mean, I, it's terrible. You, you know, if you want to win a game away from home in the best league in the world, your goalkeeper can't concede two goals like I did today. It's simply not possible. The team fought back, but the damage was done, <laughs> said Petr Cech. And I'm like, Petr Cech, I kind of admire your courage in, as the senior man stepping forward and, and agreeing to take all these bullets for, for the team. But, like, why do there have to be so many bullets? This is awful. No, we want we want Mama Check to have something she can bury. <laughs> <laughs> the way the way this is going, I'm 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 worried. Look what they did to my boy. <laughs> and, and then Arsene Wenger, did you see what Wenger said? Because they put this to Wenger, and he said, "Well, I think he deserves a lot of respect, as it's his assessment of his own performance. He's a very intelligent guy and a professional guy. He saved us on other occasions. Today he cost us. But as a manager, as a manager, you have to live with it." And I thought, what? You can't, like, you know, when, when, when Czech steps forward, presents his, you know, his broad chest to the, mm. to the firing squad, and you just stand there and go, oh, <laughs> thank God someone's stepping up. This is Arsene Wenger. Wenger in the, in the press conference, did you see his quote about, like... Uh, the trousers. He said, when you, when you struggle for confidence, it's difficult. And it's as though he's trying to copy a Carlos Carvalhal, you know, the... Uh, the the very uh, he's like a wise old navigator he's like a navigator who's been around the world and he's brought back songs from you know the M- Malay the Spice Islands and he's got he's just got a wise proverb and a saying for every footballing situation this is the the um, the uh, very accomplished uh, Swansea manager Wenger seems to try to 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 go with one of these and I saw him deliver this line and it just fell so flat. He said, when you struggle for confidence, it's difficult. When you have just the trousers on, it's easy to take the trousers off as well. But when you are naked completely, you have to try and find a shirt and get dressed properly again. You know, everyone was just kind of like, okay. I'm not sure I even get it. Well, he's, I mean, he's saying, you know, you, you need to try and stay composed when things are bad. Don't, you know, do something impulsive that will make things worse. Actually situation may, be, may, may not be as bad. If you take the proper steps, you could get back to something approaching normality. That seems to be what he's going for, but he actually just ends up conjuring a metaphor that makes Arsenal sound like a man in a fugue state. You know, like uh, you know, having some kind of a psychotic break. You know? A naked man stumbling in search of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> like this, is, these, this just isn't the kind of image that you want to, that you want to bring forth. You know, when you're trying to, trying to get people believing again. And he's, saying, he's talking about, like, we've never lost so many games. I mean, they've lost eight matches in 2018, which is a lot. They've lost four in a row. And, I, and when they said it in the commentary, he said, like, oh, Arsenal losing four in a row for the first time in 16 years. I said, oh, my God. I don't remember Arsenal losing four in a row 16 years ago. No. Um, but, in fact, they did. I looked it up. They, they lost four in a row. And the first one of the – and this was when Arsenal were, were, you know, the best team in the world, arguably. Um, but they – 
they lost to Everton when Rooney scored that goal. That was the first. And then there was three more or two one defeat. There was four two one defeats in a row. Some of them were Champions League matches. Um, you know, I, I it was a spell that had a weird uh, kind of blip, evidently. I think they hadn't they won like a ridiculous number of matches in a row leading up to the Everton match. Then they lost that and it was like, oh, it was like, we just lose every match now. You know, one of these weird switches and flips in a, in a side's brain. Um, but this is obviously... Uh, a terminal slump. I mean, you've got like um, Henry Winter booming from the pages of the Times. If Wenger, or, or rather from his Twitter account, if Wenger truly loves AFC, hashtag AFC, which he undoubtedly does, then he will do what is best for the club, and that is resign. He once lifted Arsenal up. Now he's dragging them down with his stubbornness, failure to recruit leaders, and inability to organize them defensively. It's time to go. Uh, Troops has been telling you this for the last five years as he said I watched him the other day uh, he's been saying this he, he went on quite a good uh, quite a good rant actually troop, Troops on Arsenal Fan TV where basically he's saying look I've been saying this for five years but you didn't listen to me was it because of the way I talk you know you didn't you, because you think I come from the ghetto I, I, don't, I don't have opinions and uh you know, you have to hand it to him. Troops has been on the money. He's been he's been correct about this. I mean, he did he did run after Wenger's car and ask him for a selfie and tell him to play Rob Holding that time. <laughs> Rob Holding's quality, but you know, he loves the thing about both Troops and Arsenal is they both love Arsenal. That they do have that in common. Um, but obviously, we're at a point where this just can't continue. You know, can can it? Yes, it can. Well, it will. You think it will? Ah, well, it'll continue at least as Murph says until the end of the season. Ah, uh, but it's too much. Like even the you know we were talking but about it's Ian Wright. Too much. Now, come we, on. But it's they're not. not but they're not going to qualify for the Champions League. They, no. They've admitted that. Wenger uh, yeah. said that after the game. They're not going to obviously get relegated. I assume. <laughs> no, what if they lose every single game? No, I'm they sure mathematically they they're, they're okay. They're they're well above that. So it doesn't really matter. They don't, probably don't want to be in the Europa League. So. Yeah, it's really. D- well, they're playing Milan in the Europa League. I mean, you know, it's 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 a. Man United uh, won sorry, the Europa I, League. The Europa League I is mean, completely quali- winnable. I mean, qualifying for the Europa League again next year, but yeah, this season's Europa League. Of course, they don't have a striker really because they sold Giroud and can't play Aubameyang in the hmm. in the uh, Europa League. Um, I don't I don't understand uh, why what's snapped inside of Arsenal. What's just gone in the last few games? This I don't get it. Well, is it you know people say oh their players are. Not playing are, are playing to get their manager sacked, and this is what this is an accusation thrown the Chelsea players as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's that simple. I don't know. I don't I, possibly in Mourinho's last season, but I don't think usually players sit around having meetings about how badly we're going to play no. to try to get this guy out of here. But there, there could be something subconscious among some of them that we're happy enough. To, we want to say this club are very comfortable at this club. Well, there's no. But co- we kind of need a new voice. Here. What there is is what they're clearly lacking is a collective spirit, and you can see it in players when uh, the Alexis Sanchez. How many times? How many times when he was playing for Arsenal? Did you see him going crazy on the pitch? Typically, Sanchez runs to close someone down. They pass the ball to an unmarked player to their side. Sanchez looks around, sees no one closing that player down, goes nuts. I remember Chamberlain doing the same thing in the Oxford Chamberlain playing for Arsenal against Bayern. Uh, and having a proper like t- toddler's tantrum mm. in the middle of the field, where he ran out to close someone down, balls passed around him, he turns around, no one there, and starts stamping up and down on the ground, like you know, waving his arms in rage. He's they, they've both left the club. 
This is the kind of thing that's happening on the field. So players playing for themselves. You know, uh, an example of one, Jack Wilshire. Uh, Wilshire, uh, yesterday, I was watching this uh, bit of the match. He got booked for a really for a uh, dirty foul in in midfield, but it was one of those passion fouls. You know, it was a, a passionate, stupid foul to show how much passion he had, and he chopped down this Brighton player, got booked. Crowds start to sing Super Jackie Wilshire, and he's kind of he's strutting back to the penalty area with his little chest all puffed out, you know, because he's showing that he's, like, playing. You're not. You're actually playing for yourself. And, okay, now you can't make another tackle for the rest of the game great you're in you're in our central midfield you can't actually try to win the ball for the rest of the game because you're not good at it and it's too much of a risk of getting sent up oh and well brighton have just taken a free kick and nearly scored <laughs> you know well while wilshire's been going around with his head fizzing with pride at, at his lion-hearted courage at least is me at least i have passion for this team brighton quickly take the free kick and it's almost the goal uh and, you know, you just see that and you're like, okay. The, these players are waiting for somebody to come and, and make a team out of, the, out of all the pieces that are just... It's like, a, it's like children have been playing in this, this player. They're like the scattered toys that have been left strewn across the floor of the crash. That's the Arsenal players right now. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to come in and, and tidy this stuff up. But, like, what's happening now is just... It, it's like, this is the longest we've talked about them in a long time because you, you just, we've just been saying the same stuff for so long, and it's like, there's nothing else left to say. We all know this. It's got to happen. But, you know, what we are seeing is, remember we mentioned last week Ian Wright saying, oh, it's like watching Ronaldo get fat. I love I love Arsene. It comes from a place of love. But it's like watching Ronaldo get fat or, or Muhammad Ali uh, slide into neurodegenerative decline. Uh, Rio Ferdinand. It's like watching me play for QPR. You know, a m- monkey with his hands over eyes emoji. And you're like, how many, like, how many more insulting Arsene Wenger analogies from a place of love are we going to have to listen to? Like, you, you say, I love Arsene Wenger, I've got huge respect for the man, and then you produce an unbelievably insulting analogy <laughs> yeah. about his decline. You know? You know. Uh, well, at least Rio Ferdinand Lacey is with a bit of self-deprecating humour. Yeah, I suppose so, although it was about as insulting as he, as he could be, really. Mm. Rio still demanded he take the number five shirt off Richard Dunn, don't forget. When he went to keep your, um, so where are we? Uh, Liverpool. Yeah, I see Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah has now outscored Luis Suarez's best season for Liverpool, which is just incredible that that he's managed to do this. Um, level in the Golden Boot race with Harry Kane, who didn't manage to score over the weekend. Uh, Edson, Cav- Edson Cavani and Lionel Messi, who scored his 600th goal with his third free kick, his third consecutive free kick, that, or his third consecutive game in which he scored a ridiculous free kick. This one was to beat Atletico Madrid, and a very nice goal it was too. But Salah is uh, <laughs> amazingly in with the chance of winning the like the European golden boot, which Suarez did win that season. He, all his goals, his 31 goals were in the league. Salah scored 32, but I think it's 24, uh, 24 or 25. How sustainable is this form? Uh, maybe a more interesting way to ask that question is if you were managing Liverpool and mm. you were offered Luis Suarez back right now. Uh, right now? Well, say Luis Suarez in his Liverpool pump. Yes. Then you would pick him. You would take that player and uh, above Salah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even though, as you said, Salah's already outstripped him for goals only March 5th. Yeah, it's not all about goals though. It's also about the effect on the team. I mean, which is not to say that I don't think Salah has a great effect on his team. I mean, a player who's scoring so many goals is is going to give any team sort of confidence. You know, we if 
we get a chance, this guy will probably score the chance. But I think Suarez really was was running the show. I mean, for instance, here's don't listen to me on listen to Eden Hazard. Um, Eden Hazard, a man who played against who's played against both players. In fact, played with Mohamed Salah as well at Chelsea. He says, I think there are three um, candidates basically for the PFA, and the three that he mentions are. Who do you think are the three? Uh, Mohamed Salah, Salah mm-hmm. Harry Kane, and oh, Sergio surprised. Aguero, Kevin De Bruyne. Oh, so they're the three that he mentions. Uh, I think they're the three that most people would reckon are, are the three yeah. outstanding players, outstanding candidates. But Hazard says, "I voted for Kevin De Bruyne. He's the best." I could have also voted for Salah because I played with him and he's my friend. But Salah is more of a striker than a player. <laughs> than a player. More of a striker than a player. That's an interesting phrase. I mean, from someone who's not speaking their first language, but you see what he means. He's a guy who finishes chances rather than a player who, who's running the game. Uh, Kevin has got everything. He defends, crosses the ball, assists, and scores goals in big games. For me, he is the best this season. I would agree with uh, Hazard, which again is not to say that Salah hasn't been amazing. But when Suarez was, was doing this in 2013-14, he was the best player in almost every match. It was phenomenal. You know, it was like, it was like that, that De Bruyne level of performance where he, this guy is head and shoulders above the rest of the players on the pitch, but he's also the guy who's scoring, you know? Um, and yet, did you have to worry about Suarez potentially losing the head in a way that you don't with Mohamed Salah? Is that not a plus point that Salah just a, seems to be a happy, chill out presence on the pitch? Well, disciplinary-wise, I mean, there's no comparison. I mean, Suarez is a lunatic, you know? Um, and you haven't seen any of that from Salah. I mean, you asked if it's sustainable. I, to be honest, I don't see why not. Because the thing is that he misses quite a few chances as well. It's not like he's clinically putting away every chance that comes to him. His finishing has been good. I mean, like the, the, the finish on the weekend was typical. I mean, it goes in off the goalkeeper. But, like, that's a good finish. The ball comes to him. First touch quickly gets it into a position where he can strike it with a second touch. Low and hard through the keeper's legs. Keeper gets something on it. But, yeah, it's a good finish. Um... It's not like that's every chance, you know. He's he's he missing he misses a few in the same in the same game. So he's playing in a team which is set up very well to to make use of what he's good at. You know, it's a, it's a cleverly put together team. He's playing with good players who who create chances from every game. I think that's why he's scoring a lot. Like I don't see it as being some phenomenal level of overperformance. I mean, when you look at the the actual numbers, it's like. This is going to be difficult to keep up. You just you just think that's going to be difficult to keep up. But if the team keeps playing the way that it is, and Liverpool have played well for for most of the season, then I don't see why he can't keep scoring goals at this rate. I think he like he is the main goal scorer in the team. That's the thing to remember about it. We talked about this before. Don't think of him as a winger. He's not a winger. Like he is, as Hazard says, he's a striker. He just the, the way to score a lot of goals in football today it appears is to start outside the box and arrive into it rather than to be in the box as in the old school way of, of a centre forward, you know, to be to be in there when the ball comes mm. comes dropping. You obviously in. weren't watching the Indian Super League at the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. But uh, Admit it, Ken, admit it, you weren't watching the Indian Super League. Uh I wasn't actually watching it. Well, I watched Everton Burnley. I mean I watched quite a lot of fo- quite a lot of football. Everton Burnley wasn't a bad match. I thought you don't see enough of the Burnley Everton, I should say. It was at Burnley. I watched a good bit of it as well, Ken. Yeah, it's like you don't see enough matches like this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and it was better than the than the than the Chelsea the Man City Chelsea match. Well, Way oh, better. Yeah, most matches were. At least both of the teams were having a, having a go. So you know, I I, I enjoyed it anyway. Um, although it wasn't uh, it wasn't such a good match for everyone. Thank you for bringing us today's report and sport. 
Good luck for everyone. And here it goes. Day, da, 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 da. Yemen, Yemen, Yemen. Denmark, Republic of Ireland. When we look down at the Irish squad, it's not that many names that ring a bell. We have the slight of a hand in these two games. But I'll tell you something, he went down in my estimation when he said that. We have the slight of a hand in these two games. I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. Why do we have to listen to that garbage? We have not resorted to that. It's always tough to play any British British, British team. Can I appeal to the British government to please leave our country? It's always tough to play any British team. A lot of things have been said over the last few days. Some of it slanderous. I mean, I actually was abused by Dane. Abused by Dane as well the night before. Come on, Ken. Is there a Wi-Fi? Uh, actually, we're just still on the 3G. Before we could finish explaining we weren't actually on the Wi-Fi, he goes, Wi-Fi wankers! You're all Wi-Fi wankers! Miguel Delaney is on the podcast. Miguel, your job is to psychoanalyze Gary Neville, for starters. He continued his recent stroppy form over the weekend. Chelsea were in his sights yesterday. He said they're just watching Man City play. They're like mannequins. Embarrassing. Unacceptable. Do you agree? Uh, on this occasion, maybe yes. Uh, I wouldn't have been that strong as I was watching the game because, I, I mean, as kind of uninspiring and dull as Conley's approach was, there's always a certain logic to play in City in that way. But then when I go on the train back and this kind of, that, that footy started to do the, the rounds of um, that bizarre little passage in the second half when two or three of the City players kind of just pass among themselves, like not a Chelsea player 30 yards around them. Then you'd kind of have to agree with Neville. But the one, the one thing with Neville in these situations, I think he's obviously a brilliant pundit, a great forensic um, analysis of the game. But and it, it was actually something that I noticed Jamie Carragher had a little pop at him for on Twitter. He never, ever goes for the manager it's always the players and I do I do wonder whether that's because I mean he's had one of the most distinctive and rare experiences in football since for pretty much his whole career bar his uh, bar his time with England he was under maybe one of the most unquestionably brilliant managers of all and maybe the greatest manager ever but he was in a unique culture in that way and you do, sometimes I do wonder whether that has given him an experience of football. It, 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 it doesn't allow him to see the limitations of, of certain players, certain teams, and, and also means, more than anything, I suppose, that he has this deference for the position of the manager. I mean, because he, he's the one person I've never really heard kind of gets, gets stuck into Wenger, to be honest, when, when like almost everyone seems to accept that for all the issues at Arsenal, one of the primary issues now is that Wenger probably has to go. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting point, actually, Miguel. I mean, now that I think of it, that is a pattern that you see with Neville. I mean, he's even been on Arsenal Fan TV arguing a pro-Wenger case uh, uh, not so long ago. I mean, in this case, do you think that maybe he was right to, to look at the Chelsea players, or is this a case of... I mean, it seemed to me to be a, a real case of uh, Antonio Conte has allowed his slightly depressed outlook on the world over the last little while to unduly affect how Chelsea set up for this game. It was way too pessimistic. It was like, Morata is, my, my striker is so useless, I can't even play him. And I can't even play the substitute striker who we played. I've got to play a player who's totally unsuited to playing at centre forward and in fact has moaned about having to do it in the last few days. And I'm going to put him there anyway. And I'm going to tell everyone to stay behind the ball because all we can do in this game is keep the score down. And it just seems to me as though Actually, you know, if you're a team, especially you've got players like Eden Hazard, 
you could always randomly win a match. You should yeah. at least set up so that that's a possibility. And, and Conte was, was actually way too negative. Yeah, and no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Now, I suppose, it could, I mean, some, sometimes it comes down to maybe more specific issues where Conte had a game plan that wasn't enacted, that someone like they, didn't, they just couldn't execute counterattacking the way he wanted. But, uh, you know, we don't know that right now. And ultimately, it just looked so frustratingly passive and as if it wasn't a football match. And as you said, like it did, whether it's true or not, it did definitely foster the sense that you kind of just want to get the match over and, and get it done, having played this kind of juggernaut. And maybe there's an issue in terms of what this, this is one of the actual, both a strength of the City team and a massive advantage that they now have, that the mere idea of them attacking you is enough to kind of, you know, make even really good managers very defeatist. And it was actually something that occurred, or something that almost kind of reflected this mindset what happened in the Arsenal game on Thursday for the second goal when Leroy Sané, he didn't, it was when he had Mustafi in front of him. And he didn't even do a kind of a feint or a trick or, you know, anything particularly different with the ball. It was as if the kind of mere ominous possibility of him doing that was enough to kind of completely bamboozle Mustafi and, just, and Sané just ran past him really straight away. And it, it it almost felt like that happened in kind of a wider perspective on Sunday that because of the threat of of City doing this to you, that Con Conte just set up as a, you know, it was just complete damage limitation. But yeah, I mean, it is possible because some of this comes to some of the wider issues in the club, as you said, kind of his depressed outlook. And it, it was so striking the difference between this season and last. I was at that game last December. December 2016, which, and to be honest, it was actually, I think, it was the best game of last season when City were brilliant first half, could have been 2 0. Uh, then Chelsea came back brilliantly. But they, I suppose the big difference was the trust they had in the counter. Like, I mean, there was often times in that game when they defended just as deeply as yesterday, but the difference was that bite. And I suppose, again, they, they had a player like Diego Costa, but it wasn't just about that, there was just so much more trust to them. And it is, if it's kind of, you know, malaise as. Has, has affected Chelsea. Um, from what I've heard, I mean, there's all this talk about what's going to the, the, the managers trying to get the players sacked. And from what I've heard, oh, the, the, the players all, are the players are trying to get the managers sacked. Oh, sorry, 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 yeah, the players trying to get the managers sacked. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think that's completely overstating it. But like, obviously, there has been issues at the club. They've been irritated at certain, um, you know, his his, his physical training at, at certain points of the season. But like, from what has been said to me from several people, like it's absolutely nothing like. A 2015-16 situation, and after the game, I heard a few of the Chelsea players actually thought it was the, the right way to go against City because they are that good. Some of them were like blown away by how good City were. Well, it's easy for for beaten players to well. talk of their opponents <laughs> after the game. You know, I, I find it a bit disappointing. I mean, I'm not I'm not sure I'd go as far as no. I mean, maybe Conte is thinking of the big picture, and maybe he is actually thinking of the goal difference. But you know. It it just seems to me if you look at the the entire league this season. I mean, what you what you were saying about this city's kind of reputation preceding them and actually getting their opponents to lie down and allow themselves to be buried before you know, the match even takes place. Uh, okay, you can imagine this is this is going to happen a certain number of times a season when you play against uh, you know Newcastle and and so on and so forth. You don't expect it to happen when it's Chelsea. And it's it's, no, yeah. it's it's the wrong yeah, approach. I mean, if, if you look look down through the through the league, the manager who's going to finish with the best record against uh, City this season is Jurgen Klopp, who actually did have a go in both games. Ended up with a five nil hammering, and 
oh, a 4-3 win. He's got three points. Guardiola's got three points. If you actually try to win the game, it might happen. Yeah, um, I've actually written a piece on exactly this issue uh, for the Independent that should be out in the, in the hours around your podcast coming out. But basically, it's... Um, I mean, Conte described that approach as stupid, whereas Klopp, as recently as January, said, there's no alternative when you play City. And it is. It, it reminded me of what happened with Pep Guardiola's Barcelona and with Spain kind of around 2008-2010, in which they're so good in possession of so much of the ball that it gives every manager that faces them um, a kind of this tactical quandary. But uh, and I think basically because of Mourinho's Inter and then Switzerland with Spain and the World Cup, the trend was set that the only way to play these teams is to basically... Sit, deep, sit as deep as possible, congest all space around the back and try and get lucky. But I think the game itself is going to move on from even the way kind of this younger generation of players are coached. I think even, even that, in that short space of time, I mean, Guardiola's had an effect on, on how defences are set up. So even if Mourinho would say, try and do that approach with this current United, you, you've done any good. But the point being, I think, I think Klopp is right. And he made the point that if you set up in the way Chelsea did, uh, or that kind of Switzerland against Spain approach, what you're doing, and his exact words were, you're, you're hoping to win the lottery. It's basically just mm-hmm. kind of lie back, block, try and block everything, try and get a lucky break. And, and that, that, that's what it comes down to. Where at least for all the, the risk inherent of going at them, you're at least playing the game on, on your terms or, or trying to, and try, try to give them a problem. And, and it, it can have kind of, you know, if, if you're willing to take the risk and have the faith, it, it, it can, as Klopp proved, have these kind of <laughs> these bigger consequences um, because I suppose the issue with City is having enough of the ball to expose that defence that is still more comfortable playing it rather than winning the ball but you know Klopp's pressing was such that, that they were able to do that and there's no real reason why Conte should be able to do it. I mean this is a manager who specifically in relation to Jose Mourinho has talked about how, how he sees the game and he sees himself as a proactive manager who has kind of as we saw with Italy in the Euros has prioritised pressing before so that, yeah. that's just another aspect of it I suppose ultimately he's maybe much more of a pragmatist than Klopp Yeah I remember the Italy, the, the Italy Spain game that you're talking about um, and okay maybe Spain don't look quite as, as motivated as City but Italy just, just immediately got after them sort of got about them you know I mean I, I just remembered that uh, interview Xavi did a few weeks back where I think Diego Torres is asking him, how, how, do you, how would you set up against Barcelona? He goes, the first thing that I want to do if I play against a team like this is take the ball off them. You know, yeah. if, if, you know if, I, if I can get the ball, then they're immediately unhappy. And, you know, they start to fall apart from there. But if I sit back and let them have the ball, then I think he said that's just a predictable death. Yeah. And, and like Xavi, throughout that interview, in fact, can be kind of irritatingly sanctimonious, mm. especially in that style of football. Well, I, actually, I thought that was almost one of the more interesting aspects of the whole interview because it, it, it almost it was very honest in the sense actually it revealed his frustration when teams of that quality don't have the ball and I think that is something for, to think about for for teams facing City Speaking of irritatingly sanctimonious <laughs> Pep Guardiola has until 6pm today Miguel to respond to the FA charge around wearing this ribbon um, I'm interested in, in your thoughts on this one. Firstly, your thoughts on Martin Glenn, the FA's chief executive, his his interjection over the last 24 hours. He's pissed a lot of people off, Miguel. He, he's Guardiola's pissed a lot of Spanish people off. That's what Martin yeah. Glenn says. Yeah. Well, even that, I mean, just because of the fact I'm half Spanish, that immediately stood out in all, well, to be fair, the bizarre comments about the Star of David stood, stood out. But from a personal point of view, that stood out because, 
I think, well, actually, as a half Spaniard, I'm. I think it's a good thing Guardiola exposes the kind of re-worrying things in the Spanish state. Um, but I suppose it's, it's, it was un, it was undercut then by other issues with Guardiola's statement. But yeah, it was it was absolutely bizarre from Glenn. And it's, I actually can't believe someone in his position made those statements. Oh, you hang on, Miguel. You think it's you think it's a good thing that Guardiola's <clears throat> shining a light here on the. Uh... On the Spanish, uh, the Spanish prison state that they've got going on over there. I thought you were, I, I wouldn't have thought, I wouldn't have had you pegged for a Catalan separatist. No, I'm not, I'm not I'm a separatist, but I think um, there, there are what, what's happened, what's been happening in Spain is there, there are worrying. So even the way, kind of the, the like I suppose, Guardiola specific case, how there was that story from last week about his family, kind of. Uh, Facing a little bit of attention from kind of authorities. Well, sorry, Miguel. What exactly was that story? Because because I heard something about it. I mean, his his daughter was traveling in a car, which was searched by the police, or something like this. Or he was on a plane. Yeah, it, which it, was... It, it, it was all connected basically to kind of the exile politicians. But but again, that that just I suppose it, it, it gets at exactly why Guardiola has a has a justifiable justifiable. Or I think why he's rightfully wearing this ribbon. Yeah, as does Martin Glenn's statement, which is just, I mean, I find it very funny. Um, poppies are not political symbols. That yellow ribbon is. I mean, it, it, you know, so this, this coloured thing that I pinned to my lapel in, in recognition of some network cause is not a political system. Mm. That coloured thing that you pinned to your lapel in recognition of some political cause is a political symbol. I mean, it's obviously ridiculous and yeah it, and, and I, I, I feel I guardiola might even be able to demolish the fa if this goes to some kind of illegal deliberation yeah completely and it, it's well it's as hypocritical as, as guardiola is reasoning for for, for wearing the uh, the yellow ribbon given who he works for and who he's taking money off in the past um yeah com- completely i think it's the, the fa have opened up a very tricky situation themselves there what about, I, I, yeah. I, I, I need one i mean Given there was, uh, you know, even comments, but by last night there were comments from the from the uh, from the Jewish uh, the Jewish Council in uh, in the UK. Like even to have to respond to that alone, just show, they might have to censure their own chief executive, the FA. If Martin Glenn had made a more articulate argument and had said, "Look, if you let people start wearing any political symbols, it can lead. Where do you draw the line? For example." What if somebody decides they want to wear they want to wear a swastika, right? If he had just said that and left left the Star David out of it and left all the other references out of it, would he have had a point there? Um, possibly. I think, I think who, who decides essentially? Who decides what is or isn't a political symbol, or what is or isn't an acceptable political symbol? But but that that is why there was always a rationale to FIFA's view on it uh, on the poppy, which the English, which you know the FA just became you know so belligerent about. Um, be, be, because of the fact that you know w- w- one person's pure and honest symbol is offensive to someone else, and there's there's just too many quandaries. So yeah, I, I think there would there would be a point there, but of course it's completely undercut because of this fetishization of this ridiculous uh, campaign by now. Mm. Uh, I mean, you've been uh, you've you've seen a lot of city. Well, I, I, which mean the poppy, of course. You've seen you've yeah. seen a, you've seen a lot of city recently, Miguel. You've been hanging around uh, city a lot while this uh, poppy thing has been going on. Uh, or the rather yellow ribbon thing, sorry, and uh, so so Guardiola has to respond to that, or he has until today to respond. Um, there there was some talk that that uh, well Guardiola himself actually said last week that if his employers 
uh, Manchester City told him to not wear this anymore, he he would he would listen to that and, and probably he would agree. Um, evidently, they haven't told him that. I mean, he was wearing something yellow yesterday. Uh, I don't know if I got a, enough of a close-up to see exactly what it was. I don't know if you saw it closely. Yeah, well, there was some talk that it was some kind of a special daffodil, which looked a bit like a ribbon. I mean, clearly the man is is violating the spirit of the uh, of the law, maybe if if not the letter. But what what's your view on on uh, how City want him to handle this? Because it did obviously bring some kind of unwanted attention their way. Uh, people had written you you had written a piece about you know the the contradictions in Guardiola's position. You know, human rights for people in Spain and Catalonia, maybe not so much for people in the country where my employers uh, who pay me so much money are based. So it's an, it's an awkward situation for them. They've obviously decided not to tell Pep to stop wearing that yellow thing, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and you do wonder whether they can ride it out in that regard because especially when you think of that that piece from uh, Nick McGee in, in December that, that did the rounds and how one of the main goals for this city city rage or sorry the the owners of the city is that they don't want all the uh, uncomfortable and convenient issues connected to Abu Dhabi and the UAE to be discussed around the team whereas of course the, the Guardiola ribbon and the questions that it presents then uh, especially about human rights kind of almost bring this back back to light so it, it has the potential to create um some uncomfortable discussions with city and, and, and certainly for their, for their manager to be causing them problems this manager that everyone around the club obviously loves so much and is going to end up one of the most important figures in their history but so far that hasn't seemed to happen and i think there is a, maybe a sense they could they can ride it out and that, that that even Guardiola, uh, could, I mean, as we saw yesterday, and as you mentioned about kind of the, even the, the spirit of, of of this situation, he it feels like he may be willing to compromise, but only to a certain degree. He 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 kind of he will wear it around games, if not necessarily during them. Okay, we'll see what happens with it and with the charge this evening. Listen, Miguel, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Mel. Cheers. Thanks, lads. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to reveal a piece of information now. Well, I haven't, I haven't smoked a cigarette in four days. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, this guy, cheer up. How about you wake up? Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in the in the world. Pencil. We've got a nice busy week of football coming up. We will, of course, give you a midweek football podcast on the World Service. Whereas Juventus is on Wednesday, I think. That looks like the pick of the Champions League second legs. And there is some Monday night football tonight, Ken. Crystal Palace versus Manchester United. How do you see that one going? Well, it's very interesting. I mean, at this point in the season, uh, you know, everyone sort of is looking at their fixtures and thinking, well, you know, we our game's that difficult. And it used to be... Okay, so where you look at the fixtures, you go, yeah, 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 they're, they're all easy games. And basically, you think all the games are easy games, whereas now you can kind of do it uh, using a spreadsheet so that you can actually get a mathematical readout of how how difficult the games are based on the average league position of the teams that you have left to play. And according to that, Liverpool have the easiest run-in. But Manchester United also have quite an easy run-in. But how easy... Like, it's not easy to play a team as Crystal Palace are who are third from bottom at this point in the season. This is the worst possible game you you want to play everyone would like to play uh, Watford or Everton 
safe enough yeah. from relegation or everything the team everyone wants to play right now. Arsenal. Brighton, maybe know. now that they've... Uh, Brighton might ease off now that they've oh. kind of... I don't know. You know. Glenn Murray, oh, and he's, he's a too hot. I wouldn't want to be in the vicinity of Glenn Murray. Um, He'll burn you. You don't want to have, to have to play Palace. It depends also, you know, which can Zaha play for Palace? I mean, if Zaha doesn't play, then it's hard to see them having much of a chance in the game. But it's not an easy game. Um, Jose Mourinho confident of victory. Uh, we're better than you say. The, he accused the media of spreading lies about how, how bad Manchester United are. And, he, and I believe um, that he's, he's going to take the bull by the horns this summer and he's going to be commenting on the World Cup for Russia today. Oh, really? Yeah, he's going to be biting back against the fake news that a lot of us here are consuming. <laughs> uh, he, it's going to be interesting coverage. I mean, Collymore is already working for them, isn't he? For Russia today. With Collymore and Mourinho. Add another couple of big names, you know, walk in, walk out studio in Moscow. I know what channel I'm going to be watching this <laughs> this summer from my World Cup news. Thanks for today's for listening to today's Second Habits Football podcast, and thank you, Kieran and Ken. Thank, thank you, you all, thank and Kieran. Thanks a we'll talk to you during the week if you're on the World Service. Bye now.